Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hi, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who are we with today? Today, we're with XQ Innovation from headquartered in Orange County. All right. And yes. there are, they're on the advisory board for Estellar Co. We're so grateful for that. And it's Cyrus Kennedy <laughs> and Joe Kashmiri. Thank Hello. you guys so Good much morning. for coming down to San Diego. So happy to be with you guys. Yeah. Yay. We're stoked. And we met XQ. We were actually referred to you guys through Jennifer Barnes at Optima Office who used you. And she highly recommended you and then used you for our business, well, for business purposes for the profile disc assessment and had a wonderful experience and have continued our relationship with you guys. So um, we just really enjoy you as people and what you've done for us and the whole program and process and super excited to get this out here on the internet. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. And the feeling's mutual, by the way. Thank you. Oh, we can just stop there. (laughs) Um, So... Joe, can you tell us, I guess, what is XQ Innovation? XQ (laughs) was basically founded upon a principle that uh, people are treasures. Mm. Companies have these fantastic treasures at their disposal, and most of them never get to see the real personality because they get buried in task-related issues. And so people technology has been ignored for many years. And, you know, we invest a lot of money in uh, infrastructure, for example, IT, computers. Uh, If a computer goes down, what's the first thing we do? We go and hire, you know, we spend a lot of money on making sure that the network is working. Well, how about the network of people, Mm -hmm. right? So we know every single detail about our building, our computers, our technology, but we really don't have awareness of our people. And the people are our biggest assets. So that's why we say people are treasures because once you uncover what you have, then guess what? The productivity level goes way high and people begin to produce better. They're happier. Uh, you have a harmonious workplace and it's become, it basically becomes self-sustained. Mm-hmm. You don't really need to manage people anymore. You need to inspire them. Mm-hmm. So the XQ was founded upon a principle that um, if we can identify scientifically people's different quotients, such as, you know, how do I do what I do? Why do I do it? What's my thought process? How clearly am I thinking? And what is my emotional intelligence? Because they all go hand in hand in decision making, in performance. So then when you have that um, through awareness, people become far more engaged with their workplace. So it was basically XQ was founded upon a a principle that give people the right tool, get them engaged, get them involved, really treasure them and care for them. Because we've done a lot of studies on why people leave a company. And you'd be surprised to know most of the time it's not money. Mm -hmm. They all have one thing in common. My manager didn't care. So then we find out why didn't the why didn't the manager care, right? And we find out the manager says or 
my my boss didn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of rolls up and down. So through this whole program, we we empower people to make better decisions. I love that you called people treasures. That's so on theme for our Orion podcast. Orion's the hunter. And we sort of kind of akin that to hunting for treasures within other people, sure. finding them, helping them polish them up so that they can shine like you know they can. Exactly. And so how how did XQ come to light? So you saw a need. And then how was it established and when? I had been an executive for Fortune 500 companies for many years. And um, we were doing really well. Whenever I went to a place, things happened. And I didn't know scientifically what it, scientifically what it meant, but basically I, I incorporated what I just told you. I went in and took care of people, you know, understood them better, built a relationship, and they all performed. And then so when um, I started a, a consulting company, I wanted it to be people-based because there's enough emphasis on software, on technology. And to be honest, since the 90s, the emphasis on people has been going down while the emphasis on bottom line and profit has gone up. Well, people are your profit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So ignoring people is almost crazy. So that's kind of, you know, we, we kind of la- uh, lost the opportunity to... If you look at Gallup's reports, people's disengagement is, is going steadily higher. Yeah. So we wanted to, so I, I thought, okay, if we can find a, a scientific way to measure, like if you if you have an IT person that comes into your company, what, what's the first thing they do? They look at your computer, they look at your network, they give you an assessment, right? Mm-hmm. They go, you need diagnostics. Diagnostics. Yeah. <laughs> so this is basically XQ does the initial diagnostics. So when we prescribe training, it's all scientific. It's not based on our feelings. It's all science-based. So therefore, the investment of time and money by the companies that hire us makes it far more, a better return on the investment. Yes, and I think what you said about being science-based, having gone through the assessment in a professional setting, is that it creates like a very safe place to discuss these behaviors and differentiators amongst the team because it's not threatening. It's mm-hmm. just, like you said, it's like, this is science. This is just, this is the way you are. This is the way they are. Okay, how are we all going to work together? Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. And what is the science of it? Walk us through that, Cyrus. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the science is very interesting because it deals in multiple disciplines. So we the assessment is designed by business people, neuroscientists, and psychologists. So when you take that trio together, we're looking at a person from many different angles. So from a neuroscience point of view, we're trying to design an assessment that in the quickest possible time can extract the maximum information. So uh, we used to jokingly say that it's like five years of therapy in 15 minutes. It is. You know? <laughs> Verified. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just amazing how much comes out. So that's the neuroscience aspect. And the psychology aspect, you know, many of us are familiar with. So it just takes a look at, you know, what type of personality does this person have? What's their ideal environment? Um, what are, you know, if, if you were to give them a job to do, 
how accurately could you predict how they would do it? Mm-hmm. And um, incidentally, it's about 95% accurate. So there's, you know, human beings are very complex. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we'll ever have a 100% accurate assessment, but 95% as a business leader, I'll take those odds, you know? And, and uh, we actually had a recent client who um, had been hiring people without using the assessment. And there were a few cases where he would ask us, he would say, well, there's this person I've hired. Can we, can we have them assessed after the fact? We then told them, we said, in about 90 days, here's what they'll do. And he said, BS, there's no way, there's no way you'll know that. 90 days later, or around that time, mm-hmm. he calls us and he just kind of sighs on the phone. <laughs> and says, all right, from now on, I'm going to use this before I hire anyone. Wow. So behaviorally, it's incredibly predictive. And then um, when you combine it together from a business point of view, what I find is there's a lot of assessments on the market. Yes. But very few of them give you a huge depth of information combined with really practical, usable takeaways. So business people love that Mm -hmm. because in a few pages, they can say, all right, well, here's exactly what I should do with my staff. I know what to do. I know how to act. I know how to take initiative. And uh, what we find so often is by the time we get to an organization, they've kind of given up already. They have a certain department that just isn't doing what they thought they could. And they said, well, we've tried everything. There's nothing more we can do. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) you see this kind of sheepish grin on their face when we show them the assessment results. And it's just so it's right there. It's so obvious. Yeah, the answer is right there. (laughs) So anyway, that's kind of a little background on on the science of it. And it's it's highly, highly validated because we feel that if we're going to make decisions based off of a tool, it has to be accurate. It has to be really, really good. And so we found in time after time, it's just amazing how the science pans out exactly as we predict it would. You mentioned that there's a lot of assessments out there on the market. I'm a good student, so I do lots of them. And I can verify (laughs) that this is the most thorough the most detailed and gave me the most insight in the quickest amount of time. And it's the most long lasting. Mm -hmm. So I continually refer back to my assessment in many different situations, personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. I've taken, you know, Gretchen Rubin's assessment. Love it. I'm a questioner, according to Gretchen Rubin. And you're a rebel, Jessa. (laughs) No (laughs) surprise there. (laughs) And I did the born to build assessment and I'm a rainmaker and you're a conductor, right? And then we, and before all that, we took the XQ assessment and boy, is it more than just one word. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I can't wrap myself up in one word because of the depth of self-awareness that it brought. It's, Uh it highlighted a lot of complexity. Yeah. And like you said, Cyrus, it's so helpful. I mean, the report is very thorough and you can kind of see it as high level or as detailed as you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. And so we reference back to it quite often and we just kind of take a quick scan often like, okay like kind of a check-in, if you will. But then there's all these details and insights into who you are and why you may behave in certain ways where someone else wouldn't. And then, like you said, there's very like applicable information in there that you can walk away from and do immediately. Mm-hmm. And I remember some of the sections are ways to communicate with Jessa, ways to not communicate with Jessa. Yes. <laughs> and time wasters. Right, <laughs> right. All the time wasters. I was like, yep. <laughs> I do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was so helpful because um, at the time when one of my colleagues, when we had taken it, 
and we were going over it. He's like, well, isn't this the way everybody wants to be communicated with? I'm like, that's what you think because exactly. you haven't done the assessment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It seems obvious to you, but it's not obvious to everybody else. Yes. Sure. And again, bringing it back to me and Laurel, <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that for us, it's been so helpful in... Like, for example, Laurel has a high sense of urgency. Like, I think she was, like, the highest and mine's the lowest. Mm-hmm. And so Laurel will walk out things. we got to do this right now and email yeah. someone. And I'm like, okay, Laurel, I know you feel urgency to do this, but let's just sit back for a second and talk about it. We're on the other end. We're like, oh, we'll get to it, whatever. And I was like, no, like, this is our Q1 goal. We need to do this. we got to get started. And so we kind of see each other where and, and Laurel, it's the gas and brakes. It works out nicely at yeah. a good speed. And then the other thing too that's <laughs> been really helpful is that Laurel doesn't get distracted really easily. Yes. By my environment. So like in things like this in meetings, I'm just looking around, I'm hearing noises. I look at my phone, I look at my computer, and I'm like coming back and I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, I got distracted. And she's just sitting back like yeah, I know. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. I'm and like watching it unfold and I'm like, yeah, yep. And she's just she, waiting for me to like check back in. She's like, okay, let's move on. And absolutely. she's so patient with it. And I feel so bad, but she's like, it's okay. I know Which you're distracted. Is, and that's interesting because like I do have that sense of urgency. So the fact that I would have patience with you is really only because we did the assessment. Wow. Normally, I mean, before assessment, I'm really, uh, if people aren't catching up at the same speed and aren't going as fast as I'm going, I get frustrated mm-hmm. and annoyed. But then I'm like, oh, not everybody's like that. So it's not that they're careless or not that they don't care. They're just moving at a different speed. And so when I learn about Jessa uh, being distracted by different things, I'm like, it's okay. I trust that she, we're going to get to it. So I'm just going to chill and like let her come yeah, back to center. Exactly. And I, and I, it's just, so I'm like patting myself on the back a little bit because right, that's, right. That's, that was hard for me to be patient. Yeah, of that, course. I, it really was. And like, I'm, well, thank you. You're doing great. You inspired me. Oh, be there you go. Thank you guys. See? We are but here because of you. It's, yes. I'm not joking. It's funny you say this because, you know, think about what you just said. It's the same two people, same relationship. What's the difference? Well, I'm just aware of a little more than I was before, mm-hmm. maybe a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you look at anything in your life, anything at all, if you feel like you know what you're doing, you sort of approach it with a sense of calm, yes. with a sense of confidence. And reverence. Reverence. You feel good. You feel excited. There's a sense of joy. When you don't know what you're doing, you're anxious, you're mm-hmm. stressed, you're nervous, you're scared. Um, I mean, we all go through this. So, incidentally, the most complicated thing in our life is people. So, again, as Joe mentioned, it's surprising to me how lacking it is out there in terms of avenues for us to get to know people better. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people don't have the time or money to go through years of therapy, for example, or to go through all these other means that we have currently. But in a quick assessment, just you two being able to say that to each other and your awareness of her now just transformed the way you behave. And it made you calmer, made you more relaxed. You know what you're doing. And so awareness is at the center of all of this. Mm-hmm. And having knowledge. Now, sometimes we have knowledge and we don't use it. But at least knowing is half the battle. It is. Self-awareness. Self-awareness helps me appreciate other people a lot more. I love people. I always have. Mm-hmm. But I don't... Looking back on it now, my actions really didn't 
display that. I really wasn't totally mm-hmm. aware of how I was behaving and being received mm-hmm. because I just didn't totally understand my wow. true inner self. And through the assessment, um, you know, it highlighted why I do the things mm-hmm. that I do. Sure. And my first conversation mm-hmm. with Joe, I just word vomited <laughs> my whole life to you. But you, you already had that nailed. You already yeah. knew kind of my family background, where sure. I came from, what the family issues I might be struggling with, what my motivators and drivers are. And so when I, I felt very comforted knowing that it's neither right nor wrong, it just is what it, it is. is, and therefore that awareness of who you are, sure. then you get to choose mm-hmm. how you behave. Very well said. Excellent. Choose yeah. love over fear. And you understand there's no judgment. Right. Behavior is not to be judged. Behavior is learned, so it can be unlearned, and new behavior can replace it mm-hmm. through awareness. So mm-hmm. m- most of us don't want to really express who we are and what we do and why we do it. It's because w- we fear being judged. Mm-hmm. We feel like people are going to you know, think of us less. Whereas once you take an assessment, hey, it is what it is. <laughs> In almost every case, I mean... I have personally, I mean, our company has done millions of these, right? Mm -hmm. I've personally done thousands and thousands of one-on-one debriefs over the last several years. And almost every time, the reaction on the other side is so positive because they never realized, wow, I didn't know I'm in the top 5% on the planet in this particular behavior. I didn't realize the way I'm driven is so unique to me. Or or I'm in the top 2% of something. I mean, no one ever took the time to share that with them. And so the, the transformation that takes place is I'm, I'm worried about being judged. I have value. Yeah. yeah. I have value. I bring something to the table. Yes. It may not be what I'm doing now, which is why I may not feel valued. Mm-hmm. Maybe what I'm doing doesn't match my gift, right? But then something really interesting happens with, with self-awareness. And this, I think, doesn't get talked about enough. And I think I would even take it a step further and say it's one of the biggest things we're missing in our society is self-awareness. Because when you're self-aware, what happens is you stop judging yourself. You stop being hard on yourself. You start to appreciate what you have. And then guess what? How do you think you treat other people now? Mm, With respect. (laughs) Right. Because you're appreciating yourself and because you're understanding what you're made of, now when you come into contact with others... You do the same to them. Mm -hmm. And so you create a cycle of goodness when you take the time to learn yourself. And this is nothing new under the sun. I mean, Maslow figured this out 100 years ago. Before him, I'm sure many, many philosophers and psychologists had figured this out. Mm -hmm. It's just we don't practice it. You know, when you turn on the TV, there's no ad telling you, hey, get to know yourself better. <laughs> you know, hey, why don't you, <laughs> yeah. why don't you improve yourself? There's you know? a whole like transformation economy or industry that's coming around uh, or it has. It's been around forever. But like you said, maybe it's just not on, on TV and at the at the forefront of every, everyone's mind. But that word that you said, transformation, is is vibrating for me really strongly mm-hmm. because I don't think I would have started a Stellar Co. with Jessa had I not spoken with you, Joe, wow. because like you said, I wasn't aware of my value and the role that I was in at the time, I was fighting everyone. And I'm like, why am I fighting everyone? <laughs> wow. And Joe, you said 
It's because you're supposed to be an entrepreneur. Like, like you're not really supposed to work for other people. That's not, that's not like the the best seat for you. Yes. And when I just realized that, and I had somebody with the scientific data and and the social capital and wisdom behind him to shine light on. Laurel, if somebody comes to you and says, you cannot do this, you cannot start your own company, you said wholeheartedly ignore them. I mean, from a place of love, but like, that's not for you. Sure. Reject that because that's not, that's a limiting belief and that's not your truth. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me. Wow. Because I was like, we can do this. And, and so that speaks to like when Jess and I are, are writing out our strategic plan and our goals, we can think really, really big because mm-hmm. it's all happening. Mm-hmm. We've put it out there and said, si, si se puede, yes, I can. We yeah. can do this. And it's happening. Mm-hmm. That's a transformation for me was going from a place of fighting and not feeling valued and feeling really not worthy of love and belonging in my professional and personal life. To being like, oh, this is where I belong. Absolutely. It's so obvious. And look at how many people you're helping. Yeah, when you heal yourself, you heal <laughs> yeah. everyone. Yeah. And how many people you're going to help. Yay. So. And when you think, you know, you said the transformation economy, I really want to touch on that for a second. Great. Because there's a big business with that. Mm-hmm. Um, some names that come to my mind are like Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I've actually attended many, many seminars and, you know, I did a lot of investigation years ago and I do it ongoing. And what I find is the, the self-help business really focuses on something called, we call outside in change, outside in transformation. So what they do is they say, I'm the guru. I went to the mountaintop. (laughs) Let me tell you how I did it and you can do what I did. Right. So they're saying, follow my steps and you're going to be all better. Well, what happens is many people who go to these follow the steps and then they go, but wait a minute, this doesn't feel right at all. Mm -hmm. I don't like doing this. This doesn't feel like me. And then about a week into it, they just abandon the whole thing. That's what outside in looks like. Anyone listening could probably relate to something they've been to that inspired them, got them all excited. And then they just totally dropped off. Mm -hmm. The reason was it wasn't from the inside out. It was someone telling you, do what I do. Yeah. Now, what you just described is inside out change because you genuinely believed. You saw some information. It really impacted you. You, you had a true internal change. Mm-hmm. And so that's sustainable. That's something you're going to carry with you and pass down generation after generation. It's regenerative. Absolutely. So, so to me... <laughs> What? Oh, I'm excited. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's re- it's regenerative because it's actually creating a positive net impact on society. And so when we we talk about sustainability and regenerative businesses a lot on our on our episodes and more often times than not sustainability is referred to as as the environment and and kind of maintaining the status quo or protecting or conserving or improving the environment, but it's so much more than that. As mm-hmm. you mentioned, it's human networks are mm-hmm. a part of it. And regenerative businesses are ones that apply the principles of healthy living systems and human networks Mm -hmm. to the economy and to the business. Mm -hmm. So as you said, people are really profit and not so like directly, but it's a part of it. Mm -hmm. And 
when you talk about transformation from the inside out, that is true regenerative social capital. Because when I heal myself, all the one, all the vibrations around me and everybody else that's out of whack and chaotic because I'm nuts, mm-hmm. they calm <laughs> down and get in alignment with themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Because nothing that any of us does but affects us all mm-hmm. anyway. And we try to highlight and promulgate that message of it creates a positive net impact if it's done your way. It's good to feel good. So what feels good for you? Mm-hmm. And let's do that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if, if to your point of regenerative and, and renewable and, and mm-hmm. sustainable, you know, uh, our calling card, I suppose you might say, is that most of our biggest turnarounds mm-hmm. have taken place without having to fire one person, <laughs> without having to do any of the nasty things that you hear consultants do on TV and in movies. Yeah. And yeah. The movie, uh, I think it's Office Space, comes to my mind. I just yeah. watched that. You know, it references so much. I haven't yeah. seen it in 10 years. Yeah, and I just it's watched it. It's a hilarious but... movie, and, and you know, they depict <laughs> consultants in the most, you know, unusual way but funny enough that's how employees kind of perceive consultants yeah. right but our uh, our I guess uh, passion is to be able to say look you have these people here now why don't we just maximize their potential you know why don't we just help them reach their fullest level that they were born to attain yes and so just by doing that you take the same group of people and the company numbers are skyrocketing why it's because those same people now understand their value. They appreciate what they can do. They own it. They do it with greater fervor, greater energy. And so then the whole company's culture begins to transform. Yeah. So we don't need to fire. We don't need to hire. Let's just take what you have. Now, occasionally those things is part of doing business, right? Mm-hmm. Those things do happen. But we never go into an organization and say, oh, you got to cut this and cut mm-hmm. that. We say, why don't you uplift? Why don't you invest? Why don't you? And in almost every case... The return is far greater than they anticipated. I, what's coming to my mind right now is an Oprah Winfrey quote, and I love her. We have the same birthday, January 29th, Aquarius. Age oh, of the cool. <laughs> so Oprah said, when you align your personality with your purpose, nothing can get in your way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. I'm more aware of my personality through the assessment. And, and I've learned to discover what my purpose is. And through... XQ Innovation, I realized that my highest value, what I really desire, is just to create harmony between people and with their environment. Mm -hmm. So pre-XQ Innovation, my environment and my relationships with humans was chaos. Mm -hmm. It was reactionary. I was like, come on. I was so... I was easily frustrated, and I came to anger pretty quickly. Jess is nodding <laughs> aggressively, or assertively, <laughs> nodding assertively. Um, and I realized by by talking with XQ and doing the assessment that anger is a secondary emotion to deep hurt and fear. Mm. So, Laurel, what's hurting you, and what are you afraid of? And through investigating and going inside and exploring my inner spiraling galaxy and, and, <laughs> and, and de- determining... What is my true personality? What motivates me, drives me? And then learning, just having somebody else tell me that 
it's okay. Yeah. Like, I give you permission to fully accept yourself and go do that. Mm -hmm. Align your personality with your purpose and nothing can get in your way. And here we are. There you go. It's kind of magical. And what's most interesting about this is it doesn't matter if you're young, old, man, woman. I mean, we do work in different countries. And, you know, in some of these countries, women are still not where they are today, like in the States. Mm -hmm. And women are sort of not given the same opportunity. And (laughs) I had one company that comes to my mind uh, overseas where the most talented people on paper were the women who were just being kind of marginalized. One of these ladies was even on the chopping block. Oh. And so I showed the owners her results, and their jaws hit the floor. <laughs> they thought, how could we have missed this woman? And to make a long story short, this is now nine months ago. Mm-hmm. She now has her own store. She's promoted to a store manager. <laughs> and she went from, and this is in a country where, you know, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just amazing that the, it takes away all the preconceived notions and all the judgment and you just look at someone in terms of their abilities, their gifts. What do they bring to the table? I don't care where they came from, yeah. right? Just what do they have to offer us? And what do they have to offer themselves? And that's another interesting thing. That's changed me a lot because, you know, having owned and operated other companies, I used to be too quick to judge and say, well, this employee can never do that. Ah. This employee can't do this. And I've totally opened my mind now and just saying, look, let's – Let's let the results speak for themselves. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to put them in a box. And that's been so powerful because where, uh, you know, Joe jokingly calls us gemologists. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love gemstones so yeah. much. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, you have these, <laughs> these beautiful, uh, you know, as he said, human treasures. Mm-hmm. And some of them just aren't polished up yet. Totally. You know, some of them aren't a princess cut. You know, they haven't been, they haven't gone through that process. So uh, the assessment combined with the debriefing, combined with the action plan, is almost like a, a gemologist polishing a stone, getting it ready to be set in a ring. Beautiful. This I'm laughing so hard because Laurel, like since I've met her, I think probably even the first when when we worked together and we first interviewed her, it was like, I love finding the gemstones in people. I love polishing is. them there up it is. and finding the gems within everybody. Yeah. And she does, she sent me a picture from last weekend where she was out mining for gems. And No um, kidding. Wow. Very, very literally. <laughs> yeah. Very literally, huh? some really big quartz crystals. My husband got me the birthday gift to go mining for gemstones. And his part of the gift was that he would go get the bucks, bucket of sand. And so then I could just pick through it. I don't have to oh, lift cool. the buckets. I get to just stand at the silver and pick through it. We found pink tourmalines and aquamarines wow. and quartz crystals and watermelon tourmalines oh, and all beautiful. these beautiful things. And, you know, he he's a pretty even kill person. He hasn't taken the assessment yet, so I don't truly oh. know. This is all judgment. But he, um, <laughs> he doesn't get excited about much. Mm. And when that quartz crystal, like, fell into his hand, he was like, oh, Laurel is going to be wow. so happy. Wow, yeah. And his eyes kind of lit up, and I was like, oh. Those beautiful moments. Very uh, on brand with this. Very on brand. Good, so, good. At least Laurel. But um, it's us. <laughs> you were just talking about gems this morning, even before we came to meet you guys. How here. cool. It was very topical. Very nice. You know, a topic that I want <clears throat> to discuss is th- there's a there's an old concept which is now becoming very new, mm. and it's the most amazing leadership skill anybody could ever have. It's called servant leadership. Yeah, mm. you told us we were servant yes. leaders. And service leaders. Service leaders. Servant leaders. Servant leaders. Yes. Okay. So what Sorry. we do, you get you accomplish your task 
through serving your people, not driving them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not being their boss. You, you become, you know, you almost get the, the corporate pyramid and you turn it upside down mm-hmm. where the front line is the, the, the most important people. And it, as it goes down to the CEO, CEO becomes the least important because everybody else is more important. So then servant leadership, the first thing you do is you go, okay, I'm, are my people getting better? Am I serving them mm-hmm. instead of am I managing them? And people tend to respond much more um, happily to being served mm-hmm. and being managed, right. especially the new generation coming up, you know, very smart, and uh, they see through all the stuff already. So why BS them? Why not just get <laughs> yeah. to know them? Right? That's so yeah. true. <laughs> you know? I feel very strongly about yeah, that. Yeah, just get to know them. Have them get to know you. They're smart. Of yeah. course. They're self-aware. They're amazing. They're activists. They're amazing. They're amazing people. The litmus test for, for servant leadership is, are the people that are uh, reporting to you, are they freer people since they've met you? Mm-hmm. Are they more autonomous? Are they wiser? Yeah. Are they healthier? Are they more productive? Do they love? Do they love? I mean, so if, if you can pass that litmus test or many of those, if you can check those off, you know you're being a servant leader. If you don't, then you really want to take a look because by most accounts, about 70% of the workforce here in in the United States is millennial now. Mm -hmm. And millennials have almost, I was telling Joe the other day, I feel like there's been a full-blown silent revolt (laughs) by millennials against um, corporate practices. Yeah. Yes. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. 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 We're millennials. Verified. Good. Get verified. <laughs> Get the seal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like when when people go from staying at a job for 13 years to two years, we have a serious problem with our management practices. And business school only now is beginning to incorporate psychological things, you know, because if you look at any corporate strategy, it does not fail at the planning stage in most cases. Mm-hmm. You have smart people in a room making good plans. Mm-hmm. It fails when you go to implement the strategy. There's dozens, if not hundreds, or even thousands of people involved. And they have to each each of them is a little tiny amoeba <laughs> that has a role to play mm-hmm. in that larger strategy. So then if you haven't thought of the people side, that's why if you read most academic literature, strategy failure rate is 70 plus percent wow. in corporate world. So why? It's not because the people at the top are not smart. It's because they don't know how to implement strategies through people. Mm-hmm. I think th- I think it's because they're motivated by fear or they, mm. they react by fear instead of choosing love. Maybe because they're scared that love is a little too woo-woo or too loving, if yeah, you know. And yeah. millennials, I, I think millennials come to the workplace already being love and light. Like all, They're showing up. And I think it's received by older generations as a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Like, I deserve to be healthy. I deserve to be loved. I deserve to be valued. Therefore, give me all the things I want. Yeah. But I think that that's just a reflection of the older generation not truly understanding that these people have a lot of value to add. And they don't have a lot of barriers to that. Mm-hmm. They're very uh, pure and clean. There's not a lot of walls that they've placed over their hearts and so they lead with love right off the bat and to people that aren't used to that that can be quite jarring and a little scary Mm -hmm. and coming into an organization where these millennials might have a good idea of like oh this person's going to be really great in this role we might have to create this new role for them 
um, but they're really going to thrive and flourish and they're going to do things in less amount of time so we don't need to have the work day as long and you know we can be flexible in this regard and and you know some some top leaders are like well, we can't do that mm-hmm. no we've set up a whole system no yeah. that person needs to perform that job or they just don't belong here mm-hmm. and then when the millennials are like like me when i'm like fighting and i'm like wait this these seem like obvious life improvements, like obvious quality of life improvements that will benefit us all. Why are you rejecting me for status quo? We fight about that. And that, is, I think, is where the older generation gets right. that, oh, she's so entitled. Right. Well, it's, it's kind of too, like you said, they're just starting to teach us now mm-hmm. in school. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, technically a millennial, but I'm... Uh, like a, an elder millennial, sure. millennial you're, so wise, you're like me. Them. We're on. Yeah. The, we're just barely making yeah, the yeah. cut. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just getting <laughs> in there. But it's like when you know, probably when like when we went to school, like you learn, it's like okay, you need to make profit, numbers, ROI, strategy, synergy, sure. and <laughs> that's all it is. And so, you know, people who are in other generations of like older than us, it's the same thing. That's all they know. And when we're talking about this and you know, like Laurel's like leading with love, you know, it's like, it is kind of woo woo. There's, I think of it in terms of all the potential legal issues mm-hmm. with HR right. and lawsuits and like how much is getting to know someone too much. And it's like, this is work. Keep it professional. Don't get to know someone, you know, water cooler talk. That's it because mm-hmm. you don't want to risk a lawsuit. And I think everyone's so afraid of getting sued or breaking the rules. And then it's like overcorrection of it. Right. Where it's like, I think there's other there's respectful ways to do this. Of course. And, you know, uh, in this current climate, I do find that sometimes people are a little hesitant as far as, you know, how much do I get involved? Again, I don't want to keep going back to assessment, but when you have an assessment, it's a third party neutral right. thing. True. So I can speak to you and talk about what I see on the assessment without ever having to get too personal with you. That's or, an excellent you know, point. Right. Yeah. So I, our listeners don't know what we're talking about. Let's. Uh, what, <laughs> don't worry, we're only 37 minutes in. <laughs> what are the component parts of the DISC assessment? I mean, for example, I, we know the, the outputs for me are mm-hmm. I see like a 50-page report that has a lot of text and language that's organized into subject matters, how to communicate, how not to communicate, what are my motivators, what are my drivers, and then there's also the DISC, mm-hmm. adapted and natural. Right. So those are the baseline elements. Can you expand upon that a little bit? I mean, you know, as far as assessments go, I mean, we can get very geeky with this. We have uh, a team of nine people who produce these for us. Okay. And so uh, we have over 21 assessments we can use. Ah. Yeah. So what you guys have experienced is our, we call it our talent insights assessment. Okay. And this is appropriate for almost any situation, right? Now, the rest of our assessments are more on a need, you know, case by case basis. Mm -hmm. But the talent insights is is good if you want a really strong predictive tool, which will at the same time, as a business person, give you the opportunity to know, what do I have here? You know, we almost uh, call it people inventory, <laughs> right? It's another term we use internally because we have great inventory on our products. This allows you to do a people inventory. So it has all these numbers and figures and measurements of all these different traits, skills, you know, driving forces, what motivates people, it puts it into a numerical value and also in graphs and charts so that if you're looking at this, even a layman could look at this and say, oh, I've, I've got them in the wrong job, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so it, 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 we try to make it so simple that almost anyone can take the information and use it right away. 
most people we debrief use their assessment that same day. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you talk to someone and you go, oh, my gosh, their color must be this. So what mm-hmm. it does is it gives you these four colors and it's red, yellow, green, blue. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, depending on the color, the degree, you know, how high, how low, we're able to give you all these takeaways. So uh, a person who's hearing this for the first time immediately makes a connection. Oh, my mom must be a yellow. You know, my coworker must be a blue based on the way they act. And I've been misreading them all this time. Mm-hmm. We even had a 10-year-old girl. We have a product called Indigo, which is for school children, mm-hmm. which maybe we'll get into that later. Yes. But even a 10-year-old girl was able to uh, uh, sort of alleviate a bad relationship she had with her teacher. Because her teacher was a certain color. Mm-hmm. This young lady <laughs> figured it out and said, oh, my gosh, I've been talking to my teacher the wrong way. I need to go to her like this. That's, that wow. is so wise. Right? That's impactful. And so, I mean, you know, I hope that helps kind of understand, you know, what you get when, you, when you're looking at this assessment and what you can expect. The other products really just depend on if we see something in the first assessment, think of like your doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go for a blood test. He or she may say, well, I'd like you to get this other test done, mm-hmm. right? So it's similar for us. If we see something in the first assessment that warrants further research, we'll recommend that. Yes. And the assessments, the talent insight assessment that we got were the DISC and a bunch of other information. And the outcome for Jessa and me was to realize that I'm a high D and a high I and, you know, Jessa is a little bit different, and that's great mm-hmm. because that's balance for each other. Right. And having you, Joe, say, hey, Laurel, you told me that you want to work on being more patient with people, not so reactionary, and kind of taking the time to lead with love instead of fear. Jessa is already calm, already steady, and loves to talk. So why don't you use her as your sounding board when you feel like you need some assistance? And I have <laughs> a lot. And that's helped with myself grow so so much so that I don't necessarily need to tell Jessa all of my inner thoughts and feelings anymore. I can figure it out on my own. Yes. <laughs> you know, Cyrus was mentioning that uh, most strategies fail in corporate world. Mm-hmm. That's because they don't do what's called strategic alignment. Mm-hmm. which is, am I aligning my people with my strategy? Mm-hmm. Only because most people don't understand what the alignment should look like. So when we do these assessments, we put them on a big, beautiful team report. Right. And the business owner says, well, wait a minute, I have this person in the wrong job. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately, as Cyrus was mentioning, you see a big difference in attitude and productivity. Yeah, we we use that for, um, so Jess and I have a team of students at the University of San Diego that are working on an engineering project. Two of them went through this um, stakeholder capitalism boot camp program we went through at the Tory Project, and they brought us on board after graduating that program to help them uh, with team dynamics and planning, goal setting, and executing those things, and just being their accountability partner. Well, the first thing that we did, we discovered through working with you and Tory Project and all these other things, we discovered that we need to start with people first. So we sat them, we gave them the, the XQ assessment link. You gave us the beautiful reports, plotted them on a graph. 
we came back to them and you can see all of the lights go off. They're all engineers yeah. and they're all different engineers. And had I had I not taken an execute assessment and had not had those reports, I would have placed them all in an engineering box mm-hmm. where they're um, problem solvers, mathematicians, socially weird, not easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> That's kind exactly. of the usual generalization. Yeah. Right, right. And what, you, what we saw in our group meetings with them is just blossoming. These gentlemen shared and were vulnerable. One of them is a mechanical engineer and he's like, here's how I learn. I need to hear it three times in three different ways for it to for it to stick. And those professors, teachers, coaches that don't give it to me three times, I fail. And then I'm angry when I go on the rugby field. And then I'm like, it just carries on. And he had that self-awareness to make that wow. connection. And so all of his teammates were like, okay, so I need to tell it to him, write it on the whiteboard and then send it to him in an email. Whereas the leader of the organization is like, I need the first 15 minutes of this meeting to word vomit all over you, everything that's been on my mind, and have another person sort it out on the whiteboard because mm. I just can't. Yeah. And for them to come out and say, here's what I need, and I respect how you learn, so sure. let me just like be flexible and make a little bit of adjustment. These are just 20-year-old boys. Sure. Right. Young, 22, young men. 23-year-old young men. Young men. <laughs> young, young gentlemen. You know, it's interesting you say that because... Uh, The future of education is called social-emotional learning, SEL. Mm -hmm. That's going to come around in the next probably 10 to 15 years where kids are taught emotional intelligence. Wow. So the the old curriculum is going to have added social skills. That's great. Because what we're seeing is that kids are graduating, but brilliant, smart, smarter than the previous generation, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But as as, as far as social skills, we see some lacking. So you're going to see that coming up. In fact, uh, we're talking to a lot of schools right now, and our Indigo project mm-hmm. can go as low as fifth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifth grade. So a 10-year-old's reading level, basically. Okay. Yeah. So in high school, for example, when you're planning your future, this is so easy. You just, wow. Like you would have been an E entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And you would have known what to do. At, From 15. At, at 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can only imagine, yeah. How yeah. insightful that would be to yeah. have that at that age. And or in college, many of them yeah. drop out at sophomore level because they're in the wrong. I knew one person intimately who went to school, wanted to be a doctor, right? And after about a year and a half, his grades were all like 1.5 GPA, almost getting kicked out of school. And we did an assessment on him. We found out that he's all DNI, he's all dominant and influencing. And he had no stability, had no compliance. He didn't want to wait eight, <laughs> yeah. 10 years. Mm-hmm. So he was getting very impatient. Yes. So he changed his major to communications, and he's just not graduating this semester with almost all straight A's now. Beautiful. So it's just awareness. The minute he saw this, he says, okay, I'm changing my, my major. Now, had we done this up front, he would have probably saved himself a year and a half worth of you know, college tuition and, and wasted time. So it's just like when you were talking about awareness, it starts at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And that it helps. uh, You were talking earlier about well-informed business decisions. Well, it helps kind of protect your investment and figure out where I need to vote with my dollar more strategically. Mm -hmm. Where am I going to put my money into? I think I'm, you know, while I didn't take the executive assessment until about 12 years into my career, all of that learning 
I'm grateful for that. It's sure. kind of like, you know, there's those grateful, the grateful alcoholic is, sure. is a, is a terminology we use for people that are like, Oh, thank God I was an alcoholic. Yeah. Cause now I'm so wise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I know so much about right, myself. Sure. Oh, thank God I went through those hurdles because I think I can empathize with a broad range of personalities and people sure. now. Um, but to cut all that off at the knees, right. You know, in high school, gives a lot of clarity. I'm sure it would bring some calm patience to parentals <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> who are like, I haven't just spent a lot of money on this stuff. Where yeah. is it going to go? Yeah, right. It's very risky. And imagine if you're teaching mm-hmm. and you have 40 students and you know all of them are different. Yes. Right? And you really focus your attention on, let's say somebody's a kinesthetic learner. You find out through assessment. Well, you get them involved more with doing Somebody just auditory, so they like to, to listen. Some people are more visual, so you create. It just gives you a whole lot of tools to, to guide these young minds into a good direction, not a misdirection. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. It probably helped with a lot of patience as well from the teacher's perspective. It's like, why is a student always acting out? Why are they not listening? Why are they getting distracted? And so, how- <laughs> and the, and the teachers themselves are. Right. Yes, it's yes. mind blowing what they find out. Yeah, my mom is in education, and I was sharing this with her the the disc assessment, my report, what I have, and she's works with a little bit younger, probably younger than fifth grade, but she was saying that they're doing these now. She works in Missouri and like for the state of Missouri in early education, and in their workshops they do. She's done the disc assessment. I mean, not the execute one, which is way better than anything, as we've already established. But and I've seen her reports, and I'm like, yeah, this is good, whatever. But, <laughs> yeah, sure. But mom, have you seen my report? <laughs> um, but, yeah, but they're starting to do that, and sure. I mean, and that's sure. in Missouri, but they're just doing it at the educator level too. Sure. So, like you said, I mean, it definitely seems like it's coming more into the forefront, and it, it almost seems like it's kind of an overcorrection from what you were saying earlier, Cyrus, about the focus on software and technology. It's like, whoa, we kind of went too far into that. And now everyone's antisocial hiding behind a keyboard. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, we even took it too far with education because if you think about it, like our our Indigo research, Indigo is our youth assessment. Mm -hmm. So the, the research is showing, for example, that young boys with a certain personality profile of dominance and uh, independence and things like that are highly inclined to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. However, the school system is totally designed against those particular subset of young boys. So then you start to do more research, you dig into it further, and you go, wait a minute, how come 6% of boys, or the college uh, graduation rate, boys are graduating 6% less than girls? Mm-hmm. Then you look at the uh, uh, K through 12, how come boys are struggling in school? So like even just little things like this, where we go, we're neglecting 8% of our youth Mm -hmm. in this category. You have 7% that fall into this category. And so we're able to give educators real information. And, you know, there's always that old saying that I always heard growing up, which is, you know, the C students hire the A students, Mm. right? Mm. And I thought about that and I go, well, those C students must have been those boys and girls that were too hyperactive for the school curriculum, <laughs> right? But I was really competitive, so I was like, I will get straight A's, <laughs> right? despite my personality. <laughs> and then they, they leave the system, and then the moment they go into adult world, mm-hmm. they're now excelling in every possible way. Yeah. Well, these young boys and girls were always told, hey, you're not that smart, your grades mm-hmm. are bad, you're not this, you're not that. And so we just feel that understanding is really the first step 
And look at all the political stuff we deal with. Look at all the, you know, there's so many factions forming everywhere you look. Mm -hmm. And where are the people who are level-headed and are saying, hey, there's some right things about them. There's some right things that you're saying. And people with awareness can kind of sit back and go, all right, there's some merit here. Mm -hmm. You make some points. So do they. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try to bridge a gap. Mm -hmm. Let's try not to dig ourselves too deep into our sort of uh, uh, ideology. I think this would have been really helpful for my I have two older sisters, and one of them did not get great grades in our private Catholic prep school. And it's it's because she's way too creative, mm. outgoing, and entrepreneurial businesswoman. And the system that we were in, while very, very good for us, because um, we were in Oklahoma, and it's like we needed that, that private education. And... She goes to university at Indiana University, and lo and behold, she's president of her sorority at go. the number one party yeah. school in the nation. Nice. So she's she's vindicated herself as the most popular person there in the United States. Awesome, awesome. And she's thriving, and she makes straight A's, and then yeah. she moves to San Francisco. And, and to have, she was the first family member to move out of that realm, and she went to San Francisco. Wow. I mean, to us, that was... What is she doing? Golly. The opposite, you know? Yeah. Oh, shucks. <laughs> and, and before you know it, she goes to San Francisco. I go to San Diego. My, my oldest sister goes to San Francisco. And my parents moved to Santa Barbara. And we're all out here. There and you go. It's because wow. she, I think that she, it would have highlighted, I mean, man, the struggle we went through trying to get her into college because of her grades. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. It yeah. would have been it would have been life changing. And the same goes for my parents. You know, my parents are baby boomers and they they own their own businesses. And mom, and she she will share this publicly. She has always felt like I don't know how to run a business. I'm not a businesswoman. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I don't know these things. I don't have a college degree. But her value to an organization including the business is mind-blowing. When I shared my report with her, I was like, Mom, your social value, you know how to connect with human beings, mm -hmm. and that is business. Exactly. Connecting um, socially, enhancing social capital, making people feel good about themselves, being outgoing, pulling these beautiful stories out of people, you know, raising funds for charity, that is, that is just as valuable as profit maximization in the entrepreneurial world. Oh, sure. I think that's me. I, I like to think that's me. Yeah. Because as you're saying this, I'm like, I was the opposite. I did great in high school, straight A's, like barely studied. I mean, I was in Missouri, so it wasn't like super challenging. But yeah, and then I went to college, University of Missouri, and I'm very social. My people numbers are very high on this report. And <laughs> I was out socializing all the time. And my first semester, I got a couple C's some bees. I'm like, oh man. And I had a scholarship. I was like, okay, Jessa, you got to buckle it together. down. Second <laughs> semester. This is your semester. So I took calculus, like computer science, like all these classes I had no business taking. <laughs> Spoiler alert, did not go well. Yeah, right. And then I put on, quote, academic probation and I had like a one five or something. I'm oh like, my God. I will never graduate. Like it's just too big for me. It's too much distraction. And so I transferred to a smaller school. Straight A has graduated. Here wow. I am. Yeah. Uh, success story. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's something like that because I was always in when I was younger, I was really good at math and the science and it just came pretty naturally to me. And so that's just I'm like, well, I guess this is what I'll do. And exactly. it's like, no, you're actually not good at <laughs> <Yes>. this. <laughs> <laughs> and now in the business, like we get to be as social as we want to be. We get to go out and meet and connect yeah. with people and solve their problems. And Jessa thrives with her 
spreadsheets and your numbers you like make this operational budget for businesses you are i mean so that natural ability for math but you use your social skills first to connect with people figure out what is it that they truly want and desire in their business and then we'll put some numbers to it jessa has a what we call the bridge profile Ah. so she's what's called a relator in our in our kind of categorization and the relators can get along with almost any other personality type high five yes so that's the gift, right? So that's something yeah. you have that's sort of unique to you. But it's like it's, and that's one of those things. It's you can't really. Well, I take it back. You can measure it. I did not know you can measure it. Right. I didn't know it was a thing. And you mentioned earlier that when you talk to people and you tell them about their gifts, it's like you're in the top five percent. That's me for the people. Mm-hmm. And what's that? I pulled it up. Oh, people oriented, right. top five percent. And so I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, because I do get along with most people. And then I actually wanted to ask you guys about this because, or bring this up when we went through this business boot camp incubator whatever we were talking about emotional intelligence and people pleasing and winning people's approval and we brought up the disc assessment we brought up the disc assessment by the way the xq report in almost every session and i think people were like okay we get it you yeah guys. we get it you guys really <laughs> like this I'll yeah take the assessment. are you getting commission off this like, we'll take it yeah seriously <laughs> and uh so anyway and i was saying well i'm i have a really high um you know people oriented behavioral score mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm a people pleaser. So it's like, am I a people pleaser because I'm naturally people oriented or because I'm so worried about pleasing people? Mm-hmm. Have I become people oriented? It's like interesting, kind of paradoxical. And I'm- but it's funny because they're both right. Mm. So any one of the things that's revealed when you take an assessment is obviously your strengths become very clear. And because of all the, the data that we have, we're talking about 30 million respondents in 90 countries. So our data is better than almost any poll you ever see. Anytime people give you data, right? Mm -hmm. Like we have 20X more data. So we really feel good about the data, right? And so when when we say to someone, you know, this is your strength, well, if you overuse your strength, it becomes a limitation, Mm. right? So let's say I'm really dominant of a personality. Me, right? well that's the three of us. Right? Yeah. Joe, Cyrus, Laurel, dominant. <laughs> so in my my first company I was 23 years old and my my dominance was in full effect, right? And I would just go around dominating everyone and everything. So I was overutilizing it. What I didn't realize was everywhere I went I was like a tornado. I was disrupting mm-hmm. the people so badly. <laughs> Right. So on one hand, I was driving, I was pushing, I was increasing speed, but it was mostly in my own mind because everywhere I went, it was over utilization of dominance. So let's go back to people, to your question. Mm -hmm. So when we have a high eye, high influencing like you do, sometimes the tendency might be, well, I want to make sure I have so much social capital and I don't want to lose any of it. (laughs) So then... That will be an overutilization. It's like, well, sometimes I do have to give and take. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's a person across from me where I just need to be honest with them. And I may lose a little bit of social capital. I'll certainly gain their respect, but I'll lose maybe a little bit of social capital. Well, if a high influencer is overusing their influencing skill, they may not have that realization. So they'll overdo for people. Mm-hmm. They'll do way too much. And as many of us learn, compassion and empathy is finite. And Joe is the master of this. This is sort of one of his many fields of expertise. Mm-hmm. So I'll let him talk about that. But you only have so much empathy to use in a day. Mm. So if I overuse it on one person, 
Now I come home to my spouse or my friends and I don't have any for them. Truth. Or what about myself? How about me? Maybe I deserve a little empathy today. Well, if I overuse it on one employee or one per business partner, where is the rest of it? So, um, you know, I hope that answers your question about, yes. yes. You can bill me an hour of therapy for that. <laughs> Put your time slot in. Yeah. <laughs> what, are, what about this empathy and compassion, Joe? You know, it's really interesting because empathy is a tool. Some of us are hardwired to have more empathy. Some of us have less empathy. And those who have high empathy are really at risk because imagine you're a battery. In the morning, you're fully charged. You go out, your uh, neighbor says, hey, uh, uh, Jess, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How's the family? Well, my family, you know, my dog died last night and, you know, whatever. Then you just use up your empathy. Now your battery is getting smaller and mm -hmm. smaller. Now you go to work. Uh, you know, the person at the front door greets you. How, how's your day go? It's going great. But so as the day progresses, you're using up your empathy more and more and more. So, and empathy is finite, as Cyrus was saying. So if you overuse it, you go into debt. You go into credit card debt. Mm. High interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to pay it back. Yeah. So people with empathy, now, if, you, if you're in the middle of empathy scale, uh, but you don't have much to begin with, whatever you use, you're going to lose more for others. Mm -hmm. Or most, most, more importantly, you lose it for yourself. Yes, more importantly, you, you yes. lose it for yourself. Yeah. Most of us have more empathy for others than we have for ourselves. Truth. I, I'm on mm. the spectrum of empathy of having extreme empathy mm. where I, I feel everyone's feelings and I digest them. And what I've learned over the past year or so with um, my functional medicine doctor, my integrative medicine doctor, is that that, that is a gift to be able to digest people's emotions for them and help them and be a part of that. As, as women, we can really hold that social value. We can digest the world's feelings and emotions and create beautiful things from it. Mm -hmm. And just knowing and bringing awareness that, yes, I can do that, and I'm more than willing to create and, and hold that space for you. And I need to be respectful of myself sure. and also that I am married and I need sure. to go home and be pleasant and loving to yes. my husband. Yeah. So there's a way you could replenish your energy, Tell us. your empathy. So there are ways you could do this. Number one, every couple hours, just get up and walk away, go to a small place with no interruption and just kind of breathe. Just clear your mind. The minute you do this, your battery gets fuller. Right, uh, the minute at lunchtime, make sure you take a lunch break. Don't eat and work at the same time because you're giving yourself no opportunity to replenish. Mm -hmm. uh, some once in a while, tell others about you instead of them telling you. Right. Oh, yeah. So we call this empathy break. There's a there's a technique that I learned a long time. It's called five three two, which mm -hmm. means you take a deep breath and you hold it for five seconds, then you let it out and you. Breathe again, three, one, two, three, not one, two, three, but one, two, three, and then two, and then you do it again. You will find in most stressful situations, the minute you use five, three, two technique, what it does, it calms your brain and you start to breathe easier and your stress level goes down. Yes. Uh, meditation, especially for high functioning, for uh, 
business people. It's very important. Meditation, uh, yoga, amazing. It does amazing work for you. I do one in the morning. I do one at night before I go to sleep. So it really helps if you're really on the go all the time Mm -hmm. and you're using up your energy. Just understand that it's finite. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do it, you start eating through your own bones. You you get psychosomatic diseases. You get like backache, ulcers, stomachache, indigestion. All that comes from overusing your empathy. And so self-love is the medicine. Self-love and Mm self-awareness, but most likely self-affirmation. Because most of us want to, we don't want to be judged for not being caring enough. So <laughs> yeah. we overcare. Totally, yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I want to add one thing about this empathy thing, because at least in my case, this was a misdirection I had, which is that in business or in any pursuit, I need to be super intense and aggressive and almost like uh, like my hair on fire. Mm-hmm. This is kind of what I was taught by many mentors earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like, go with intensity, work hard be better than the next one. And the more we study the brain and the more we spend time with our neuroscientist friends, what we find is that the best state of mind for decision-making is actually a state of calm. Yes. Right? And so to Joe's point, we have a misguided thought process that we need to be intense. What the truth is, we need to find ways to constantly calm ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the frontal lobe, you get way more brain activity when you're not emotional. So you can get better creativity. I mean, many of us experience this in the shower. We get an idea Mm -hmm. before we go to sleep. It's because that's when your heart rate is coming down, you're relaxing, and then things start to come in. It's Mm -hmm. frontal lobe activity is what's causing that. So my my, um, prescription for anybody who, who is feeling like Wow, I'm, I I always regret my choices. I'm looking back and saying, why do I? Why did I do that? Right? If you're saying that a lot, take a minute and ask yourself, what do I do to calm myself? First of all, am I validating self? Am I loving myself? Am I appreciating myself? Then, what do I do throughout the day? Do I listen to like MSNBC and Fox News all day? Do I listen to spa music? Yeah. <laughs> you know, or or you know, am I taking at least five minutes, like Joe said? If it's the little things that add up to big things and we so often fail with the little things. So, um, you know, learning to stay calm, you'll see an immediate impact in your batting average (laughs) for making good choices for you. I agree. Yeah. We were, we were addressing something similar with, um, this company range partners. Uh, we work with them, their strategic partner, and they were a guest on the podcast and this came up as far as leadership. Like you want a calm leader because if the leader's panicking, you're going to panic. Mm-hmm. And so you see someone worked up and anxious. It's like, well, now I need to be worried because this is a person in charge. So I have a whole little comedic bit about uh, it where it's like. You know, emotional intelligence. Yeah, like, right. Blood, bros, oh my Run, gosh. Yeah, exactly. Everyone panics. You know, if you master emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. you basically master the art of making good decisions. Mm. That's the truth. That's the foundation. And because you make decisions based on rational thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although you're feeling your emotions, but you're able to regulate your emotions. Mm -hmm. And then so when it comes to making decisions, you're able to postpone if you're really angry or upset, or then you're able to really regulate your your movement. Yeah. I think there are a lot of examples of 
people in the older generations, like you said, that were kind of conditioned, and even us, but they were conditioned to go, if I'm not pounding the pavement and constantly on the phone and constantly making connections and constantly working, then I am not good enough. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing enough. And the reality is kind of the polar opposite. Right. If you are constantly pounding the pavement, you're not giving yourself the space and the time to calm down and be creative. I find when I meditate, like towards the end of it, I'm like, aha. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need to video message Jessa because yes. I just had an idea. Yes. I mean, the outcome of that pound the pavement mentality is the millennial revolt. Totally. Yeah. That's the outcome of it. See, we like I currently today maybe work more hours than I did in any other company I've ever worked in. And yet, yet <laughs> I find that it's coming from joy. I want yes. to do it. I'm getting up early. I'm staying late because I enjoy it. I want to be doing what I'm doing. And so it's not and it's about not exhausting. It's right? not exhausting. So it's no one here is saying don't work hard. Right. Right. We all have to work at the level and at the pace and energy that we're able to. But, you know, if you can take a look at. All right. Am I just driving myself up the wall? How many times can I bang my head against the wall, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you have a young worker and you're the manager and you say, well, here's how I did it, right? And this is the way it's done. But they're saying, but boss, it's 2020. There's so much technology. I could could start a YouTube channel and make more money than the whole CEO here, Mm -hmm. right? It's like things have changed. Mm -hmm. So why are you managing me like it's 1979? Yes. Like it's now there are still really good things in business principles and and even going back a long time. There's really good principles to be found. But if you don't innovate your technique, if you don't say, hey, it's 2020, 70% of my workforce is millennial. There's like the pragmatist in us needs to wake up, I think, Mm -hmm. and just say, we have this crop of people. Let's let's um, as Joe said, let's treasure them. Mm -hmm. Let's get the best out of them. But let's help them get the best for themselves. Mm -hmm. I, and on that same note, I talk with my parents about this a lot because my parents are very wise. They've experienced a whole lot in their lives. And sometimes it comes across like millennials do not value that wisdom. So conversely, like millennials have a lot of love to give, a lot of talent to share, a lot of ingenuity and innovation. And the baby boomers have a lot of missteps mistakes lessons learned wisdom to share so jess and i are part of the stakeholder capitalism movement benefit corporation movement i think a key strategy in that is you have to bring all ages and all people to the table because each has their gemstones to share don't just disregard the millennial because they're batshit and don't just disregard the the older generation because they're batshit like put them all at the table and that is where the wisdom of the group or the consciousness of the group elevates everybody together and creates value for all stakeholders yeah i mean i did a huge presentation in front of 2000 it was a consultants convention Right. And I was up there talking about, you know, how we're able to get such great results from millennials. And they go, well, tell us, tell us what you do. Right. And spoiler alert, as, as Justice said, it's like at the end, it doesn't matter that they're a millennial and you're a baby boomer. Yeah. Just try to do a skills inventory and match that with the job. Spoiler alert, that's that easy. It's so right? simple and it's obvious. And if someone is 65 years old and they're the best people person I have in my building, I don't care. They should be with the people. 
-hmm. If someone's 25 years old and they're my best technical person, well, then we should give them that opportunity to thrive in that role. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't matter that they're 25 and they dress a little different and <laughs> yeah. maybe they have a beard and you don't like that. It's not important. It's like what role can they fulfill for the greater good? And then millennials, when they talk about purpose, mm-hmm. what's really underlying there is I want to make sure that what I do is appreciated. Does anyone give a damn that I do this thing every day for eight hours? Am I having an impact? Yeah. Do I do anything here? Yeah. And so when you manage in a servant leadership style, you make sure everybody understands their part is vital. If if your role wouldn't be here if it wasn't important. So now let's take that role and put you there because you're best suited for it. And it's going to come so natural for you. You're going to be feeling great in this role. And you won't be bugging me about purpose because you're going to come in every day <laughs> feeling like, wow, I'm getting so much emotional positivity from this job. Mm-hmm. Everyone's telling me good job. <laughs> Everyone's yeah. sending me emails. Hey, you're great at this. And so that makes me want to stay. That makes me not want to check LinkedIn for another job. Mm-hmm. So all we have to do is create that strategic alignment like Joe talks about where I match up the role properly with the person properly. Mm-hmm. And that synergy is unbeatable. I haven't, I've yet to see a technique in business and human capital management that works better than this. I think that that's what we call love. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't really care if it's woo-woo or hippy-dippy sure. weirdo. Yeah. Like, that's the truth. It's you got to choose love over. Don't be afraid that a youngin or an olden might be good at this particular role because that's what they're meant to do. So just let them do it. Mm-hmm. Just love what you do and do what you love. Exactly. It's so simple. It's too simple. And love is, <laughs> love is more powerful than fear. Um, and, and fear is by far and away, I mean, everybody inherently knows this, fear is the number one driver for all of our institutions. So the government uses fear. Mm-hmm. Marketing people use fear. fear. Um, You're going to crash this car, yeah. so it better be safe. Better be with Allstate, right? Or it's like, you know, <laughs> yes. something like that. Or even, you know, and, and I know they mean well, but even parents use fear in many cases. So if you replace fear with love base, with, and again, it could sound, you know, frou-frou and whatever, mm-hmm. but really what you're saying is appreciate what you've got. Don't take it for granted. If I gave you a tool and you didn't use it, it's not the tool's fault. You've got to use what you have. And so when people make that connection, they go, okay, loving myself means use my gift. Mm-hmm. Loving myself means don't talk crap about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, loving myself means do the best you can. And if you think you're giving it your all, believe that you can do better. Right? And so it's just, you know, which would you prefer if you're a business leader? Mm-hmm. How do you want your people thinking? Do you want them trembling every time you walk in and working half the day because they're so scared about getting fired? <laughs> or do you want them coming in early on their own? self-starting, taking on projects, doing things because they want to do it. I mean, which would you prefer if you're a leader? It's almost like too easy. You you said these are tools. Businesses love tools. This is very thematic for me. We're going to wrap up here, but this is very thematic for me because I just got back from a tool concert, which is a progressive metal band. And this is reminding me of my favorite tool song, Parabola, where they say, recognize this is a holy gift and celebrate this chance to be alive and breathing. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Everyone has a holy gift. Let's just celebrate this chance to be alive and breathing. Thank you, XQ, for helping me 
figure out what that is our and pleasure. do it every day. It's our pleasure. You know, they call it attitude of gratitude. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I think, yeah, like for also we probably need to wrap up in a few minutes, but um, yeah, you guys have been so, the impact you've had on us as individuals has been indescribable. It is, I mean, we tell everyone that we talked to about the DISC assessment and that they should take this and reach out to XQ. And, you know, we've been talking to you guys about working with some of our clients because it helps us work with them better. Mm -hmm. It helps them, of course, with their own self-awareness. And it, it's just such a powerful tool. Um, so thank you. Of course. And on that note, three key takeaways. Your three-point landing. Well, I would say that, you know, self-awareness is the key to happiness and productivity in life. So any pursuit you can follow that makes you more self-aware should be step one. And, and whether that's an assessment, whether you want to go to a yoga retreat, whether you want to go to some guru, I mean, everybody has their thing, right? But I would say that the cure to what we see out in the world today is understanding self. And then when you understand self, takeaway number two is that you can now be able to, like, like, imagine a tree and you say, let's judge a tree by its fruit. Well, the fruit of what you do will be so much greater because you're doing it with an understanding of yourself. So if I want to be a better worker, obviously I could look at my skills and I could take a look at things like that. But if I start with my self-awareness, that will make me a better worker. So your tree is rooted in it's rooted in self-awareness and then lastly you know it's not just about work but the balance of life and work so whether i'm leading in the home or whether i'm a leader in my business i can't necessarily lead to my fullest potential unless i know myself first and and so the third takeaway is how you treat yourself is how you will treat others so if you're constantly filling yourself with goodness and good information and positivity and affirmation, you're naturally going to do it for other people. And hence, you will become a servant leader. So that's really the trifecta. And any, any place we go, I mean, that's really love right there as you would describe it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's love through a different lens. It's like we want you to be more productive and more happy. And so we're going to show you through love, no judgment. We're going to show you how to get there. And so I think that's really the big takeaway. And if... Anyone who's in a tough place or maybe isn't happy with the results they're getting, this is where you can start. It's not as hard as you think. Mm -hmm. Just learn about you and everything will flow from there. And stop worrying about what's going on on the outside. That will fix itself. Mm -hmm. And so I think if that message could get out there, I think people would be a lot more satisfied with their life every day. And that's something that we could all really benefit from. Joe? I couldn't top that. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. Thank you, thank, you, thank, you. thank you for having us. Yeah. All right. Send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening. And visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. <laughs>